When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 100. That's right, it's episode 100. We've had many opinions and voices on the show in our first 100. And I want to start this show, of course, you know me, I'm Dan Hilton, with a special thank you to all of our listeners. Whether it's from show one or today is your first show, thank you so much for supporting us and helping us. And by us, I mean me. And while you haven't heard him in a few weeks and, and months now, Frances Tomas, of course, who was with us for the first 90 or so episodes, he also, again, gives his heartfelt thank you. Uh, we're very grateful for all the support we got either on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod, our closed Facebook, of course, which is where our LaRonda questions come from, and especially on our Patreon. Without our Patreons, and we did get some feedback this week as well, without you guys, this show you're listening to right now would not even be possible. And for those new listeners as well, well, whether you picked it up in show 60 or today is your very first day, all those links are going to be in the show notes that I just mentioned. So you can tap in your app, get it. And if you want to again, join us on Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. Or of course, if you want to take that next step, leave us a review on iTunes or become a patron. That's the best way to help us continue to make new shows. Well, it is show 100. And why you tune in is because you want to hear about your favorite team in FC Barcelona. So without further ado, again, I'm Dan Hilton, joined by my guest co-host for the day, Luis Mazariegos. Again, thank you so much for being with me, Luis, for episode 100. So no pressure. Again, it's been 100 other ones of these that people can go back and listen to. Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me and congratulations on the milestone. 
And thank you, not only for coming on the show, but congratulations on not your work, but for Ghana's Barca. But you also have something bigger in the works that I think when the time comes for that to be released, it's going to be a pretty big congratulations because the rumor has it that you are working on a book about the world's most underrated midfielder. Yeah, that's right. I'm working on a book about Sergio Busquets. Details still uh, to be determined when it's going to come out. But right now, I'm, I'd am i say I'm about, I'm about halfway done, and I'm trying to trying to time it for the end of the season that's my optimistic due date but it'll depend on several things um but yeah i'll, I'll be uh, releasing details as i get closer to finishing it on on my twitter which is luis m8989 and of course that well all his twitter account is also in the show now so check him out as well just give him a click and a follow and get some updates on that the reason you Tuned into today's show is we have another edition of La Grande Pregunta and La Ronda. So for episode 100, you knew that we were going to be getting those listener questions from the closed Facebook group. That's tbpod.link backslash group. If you ask the questions there, you know you're going to get them answered here on the show. We may not get to all of them, but we do get to most. And if you continue to ask questions week in, week out, there's a guarantee that you will have your question answered. But before that, we have to answer the big question or La Grande Pregunta today. And that is, what is the level of concern over Luis Suarez, and this coming out after the 3 nothing win, and again, it's a 3 nothing win, and here we are talking negative. As we talk about Luis Suarez, it seems like there are concerns in years past about him starting slow, particularly last season, but now this year, being 31 at the, at the end of the year, 32 then in January, it seems like there are fears that he might physically finally be past it. Of course, he has all those natural tools, and his skill set is still what it is, but physically there are things he's needed to do that he just can't do. And, Luis, I'll start by asking, not it's not a blunt, are you concerned over Luis Suarez, yes or no, but bigger picture, is it seem to you that Luis Suarez physically can't do what he's used to, or is it just, again, the World Cup malaise? Because a lot of those players, whether it was Messi, Rakitic, Pique, Umtiti, they all took place in the World Cup. Um, so I think it, part of it is maybe the World Cup, and like you said, last season he started slow. Um, actually, Ernesto Valverde, he said, you know, that he's doing well, and he reminded people that last season he started pretty slow. It, it took him until about December to really hit his stride. I have in my notes that he scored six goals in the opening 13 matches last season, and then, uh, from December to February, he scored 15 goals in 11 matches, and he actually won Player of the Month for December of La Liga. So th- there's a concern that it's it's a almost a three-part thing. One is the World Cup. The other part is that he's a slow starter. And then the third part is simply that he's getting older. I think with any player, you know, once you reach 30, uh, decline is around the corner, and you never know exactly... Um, how quickly it'll come through. You know, for some, it, it's they can keep playing for several years after 30 at a very high level, and only at, towards the end they decline, and some decline very quickly. So we don't really know yet. Um, I think it would be prudent for us to at least wait until the end of the year to see if he starts picking up like he did last year. Of course, last year he scored, uh, I think, 25 goals, which was third after Messi and Ronaldo. So that's obviously very good, and he had 12 assists, which was uh, tied for first with uh, Messi and Fornals from Villarreal. So, but there was also the um, the concern that in the Champions League he didn't have his best performances uh, last season. He 
famously went on a 10-game Champions League goal drought, uh, which he actually broke. But um, overall, his scoring record in the Champions League isn't so great over the last couple years. So it's kind of a mixed uh, over, mixed season that, that was last season. But yeah, in, in, in closing, I'd basically say we should start, we should give it a few matches. I think his game against Alaves was actually better than Sevilla. Uh, I think he, he did improve a little. So let's give it a few matches. Let's see what it's like in December. Uh, that would be my, my take on it. Yeah, you brought up some of those stats, and I have in my notes as well that just looking back through the years, his last four seasons or his four seasons with Barcelona in at least just La Liga, 25 and 12 last year, as you mentioned, only three of them coming until near the end of November. So, I mean, again, he only struck the back of the net for now the next three and a half months of waiting. That's how bad it was last season. The year before that, 29 and 13, the 2015-2016 season, that's 40 goals and 16 assists. And his first season dealing with the suspension at the start of the year after the World Cup debacle, 16 goals and 14 assists. And one of the things I do want to preface all of this with is that you look at the 40-goal, 16-assist season that he had in 2015-16, and that set an absurd expectation. And you cannot talk about Luis Suarez and the expectations on him in banging in a lot of goals in the Liga without talking about the guy his his best friend, the guy right next to him, in Lionel Messi, and in addition to Ronaldo, just the absurd standards that we have now seen set for the leading goal scorer in the Liga, where in years past, but prior to those two jumping on the scenes, you know, 22, 25, uh, if unbelievably 28 could get the job done, and now you're seeing for those two, 48, 50, and just unprecedented numbers. So for him, over the last four years, when you look especially at that 15-16 season with 40 goals and 16 assists, you have a, a, a stout argument for him being a top two to three to four striker in the world over the last four seasons. And for, for the hope, I think, for Suarez and the level of concern is not necessarily a slam on the red button and, and say that, warning, warning, we need to put him on the bench, we need to bring in somebody to replace him. But instead, that it's going to be a gradual decline with him. And Barca knew this. They wanted Griezmann this offseason. They didn't get him, but they were willing to spend 100 million euros. That shows you their intent. But again, with the board having made some, we'll say, heedless decisions in the past, in the past few seasons, you don't know what 100 million euro really was valued at. And then the, the Frenchman, Griezmann, not being a traditional number nine, that the question then begs, what does Barca really need next to Messi in terms of what a number nine is? I mean, obviously, post-Messi, they're probably going to need a guy that is, I guess we'll say, almost a Didier Drogba type, a guy they really do think of as as a, the number nine. But they need a forward who at least is going to work tirelessly off the shoulder of the defense to make runs in behind and free up space for Messi. They need to run the inside channels as Jordi Alba and, and Semedo Roberto get involved on the flanks, and they have to have the ability to finish when they're put in those situations. And for me, at least, Luis Suarez, as evidenced by his third assist, and in general, the touch that he still has, because I think his combinations with Dembele will come. That's going to take time for both of those two to figure each other out. But look at the ways that Messi and Suarez were able to find each other like they always do. I think he's one of the best passing strikers in the world. And even on that day against Alaves, when he said, oh, his pass was off, and we think about that pass behind Messi that obviously all, I mean, all of our hearts stopped for just a minute because Messi went, seemed to go down in a heap, but obviously popping right back up. 
against Alavitz, his passing percentage was 73%, which is actually just about at his yearly La Liga average over the last four seasons. He averages right around 74.1, according to whoscored.com. So 73% is, is going to be what you're going to get. But the big thing about this decline is what concern aren't necessarily are we about his passing and his, his finishing. Obviously, in the box, he is still the physical force that he is. But physically, what kind of, I guess we can even tear this in, in percentages, what kind of percentage do we start to get really alarmed and say he just doesn't physically have it anymore in terms of that speed, in terms of the things that a Barcelona striker needs to do? When is it that he can no longer do the majority of those things? I, I don't think it's right now, but I, I, don't, I, I think this is a big season where we really do start to uh, uh, sound the alarm bells. Um, yeah, I, I think there's also the concern about just his overall level of fitness. What is, you know, if he's taking care of his body the correct way, I'm not really sure. That could be also a concern. Um, but you're right. Basically, the standards that have been set have been crazy. Um, it used to be, I know, 21, 24 goals could win you the top scorer award. And now with Messi and Ronaldo, it's guns. Um, it's skyrocketed basically and but the thing about it is Suarez is the only player in the Messi-Ronaldo era who has actually won the Pichichi trophy you know ahead of either one of them and he's kind of always been near them every season he's played in Spain so um, basically I think you're right that it's, it's just this extremely high standard we have for him and you mentioned actually the combinations between Dembele and Suarez I I saw a bit of that against Alaves. I, I thought it was actually pretty good. I'm trying to recall the specific instances, but there was one where uh, Messi played it to no Suarez played it to Messi and Messi played it to Dembele or something like that. And there was another couple chances where they combined pretty well. They didn't score, but I do think like if they did score, which you know they were pr- decently close to scoring, how much our conversation would change. And I think Suarez had. A couple opportunities, I would suggest that it's unusual that he didn't score one goal, at least. And I would suspect that that kind of thing is going to be it's going to be changing in the next few matches, probably. I don't think he's going to continuously miss those kind of chances. And, um, you know, like I said, maybe the, our conversation will start to change a little bit with a few of the fine margins just kind of uh, shifting. And when you talk about scoring goals for Barcelona obviously Messi is Messi and if Messi's scoring goals and Barca's winning it doesn't it really shouldn't matter the 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 bottom line number that Suarez is banging in and in the same respect I wrote an article this week for for I guess our blog and barcelblog.com associated with with the show that Felipe Coutinho I don't want to be overreactive in saying that he's yes it was a hot take to say that he could potentially be their second leading scorer this season. And we know that Luis Suarez is going to find enough form to be that guy. We know that he's eventually going to be, again, banging in 10 goals in, a, in two months' time and then shoot himself back up the charts. But uh, Coutinho, I, I'm just trying hard, racking my brain, to figure out the last time that Barcelona had a, a midfielder that was able to find the back of the net in the way that he did. And by ways that he did, I mean Coutinho. Just being the threat that he is from the midfield, it's a dimension that Barcelona haven't had in in quite a few many years because obviously that wasn't the player that Iniesta was. It wasn't the player that Xavi was. Even Sadio Keita, Deco, 
and going back through it, it regardless of who you name and now you're already going back to let's say Amore or I would even think of, of, of Laudrup as guys that really could menace the net from the midfield and Coutinho does that in a way that it's adding a wrinkle to Barcelona's attack and for Suarez you know how they always say and obviously you're the Busquets expert here that you know Busquets you don't really see what he does unless you watch him the whole time and it's interesting that I'm almost asking that question about Suarez and that to see how good Barca attack can be spatially in freeing up Coutinho for those shooting lanes, for letting Messi do the, all that Messi does and, and keeping him fresh, it's going to take Luis Suarez to be vigilant and he's always worked hard. That's what he's known for. That's what we cheer him for is working hard, giving 100% every time he's on the field. And we're going to need more of that this season. And so for me, a guy that's going to have to I guess, what, is he going to start 85 90% of the matches? He's going to have to expect it to start. Because looking at Munir, who would be the guy that you'd think is going to replace him, Munir, just, with just 10 goals and 6 assists in his 33 appearances last year with Alaves, I don't think he's a guy that Valverde's going to trust. And as scary as that sounds, that, that number 9 position seems to be the one spot that Valverde just isn't really happy with the backups. And so that's going to put, I think, Suarez in a compromising situation this year to play so so many minutes that physically he might not be able to and again not to say this is a harbinger of the end of the end of the guy but Suarez's whole game is is about his work rate and about his work ethic so you wonder with Suarez that are we really going to be it's gonna it's become the media and what's actually happening with the team I think the media is going to be looking at the the final the final big picture and say, well, Suarez wasn't very helpful. But if you just watch Suarez throughout a whole 90 minutes for Barcelona all throughout the year, I mean, you still have to think that he has enough in the tank to do all the things that he does to make them a successful side. I don't think that he's going to be counterproductive to what they're doing. Yeah, um, I think actually I saw some reactions. I think people were being slightly harsh on him. I think he, like I said, he missed more chances than I thought a striker of his quality would miss, but he did actually create a couple chances. And you talked about uh, Coutinho. Um, you know, uh, Suarez and Messi sh- took eight shots against Alaves, um, and they played 90 minutes. And Coutinho, he took four shots, and he played 45 minutes. So if you, uh, you know, if you average it out to a full game, he'd be right up there with Messi and Suarez, like, taking that many shots. So that really definitely changes... Um, the entire team, because you're right, Iniesta never really took too many shots. I mean, every now and then, but not nearly at that same rate. So that tactically, that changes the team a, a lot. And with with Suarez, like I said, he did have some good combinations. And I think you're right; he does open up space for other players. Um, as far as substituting him, I I'd be interested to see what Munir can do. But there are other options, of course. There's Malcolm and uh, Coutinho can play on, on the wing and move Messi to the center, but that does change the dynamic of the offense because you're not dealing with a what they call a true nine, but you have a false nine. It does uh, it's it's not that necessarily that it can't work, but it does change things. So it would be one of the, the things that you have to see how it works, but. I don't think that Suarez can really continue to just play every match and and then we'll expect him to continue to have this level um, of endurance as his body ages. I think you do need to try those other alternatives, even if it's just in the some of the you know games against the teams that are towards the bottom. 
but you do have to give him rest. So I think those are workable solutions. And like I said, I think Munira had a pretty decent loan spell with Alaves. Actually, I think the rumor was they wanted to keep him on loan, but Barca didn't let them or they asked for too much money or something like that. And uh, you're right that Valverde has been cautious when rotating, but at the same time, he did have the option of keeping uh, Munir or Alcacer, um, and he seems to be leaning towards keeping Munir. There's been rumors that Alcacer would go actually to uh, Borussia Dortmund or um, some other German team. And anyway, in the pecking order, it seemed like Munir is up there, so maybe he he's seen at least enough to convince him that Munir should be ahead of at least of Paco. So um, maybe he'll get his chances. And, you know, uh, he was considered a, one of the top talents coming out of the of not just La Masia, but the whole of Spain. So I think it's, it's too early also to give up on him completely. I'd like to give him a chance, too. Yeah, Munir, a player that never saw Barca B action. He went right from the you know, uh, UEFA Youth League winning squad right into the team with Sandra Ramirez. And rotation, a big, a big thing is we're about to transition to La Ronda. Just not not to spend too much time recapping the first weekend, but rotation looks at least through one week. And again, it's overreactive. There's so many fixtures coming up for all these teams throughout the Liga. But Real Valladolid, who won, one of the newly promoted side, 0-0 draw with Girona. Levante has been the best team in the Liga over the last... Uh, well, the last two weeks or three weeks of last season, well, actually four weeks of last season, and now 3 nothing dismantling of Real Batiste, who had 77% of possession. Espanyol, who I thought was going to look pretty, diff- pretty pretty terrible this season, 1-1 draw against Celta de Vigo. Huesca gets their first win in the Liga history, beating Ibar 2-1. And even Leganes fighting tooth and nail with Bilbao, which you'd have to think are going to be a little bit better this year after finishing 16th. So, in conclusion to all of that, my point is that it doesn't seem this season, after just one 90-minute stretch throughout the first match day, that any team is going to be a team that Barcelona can just walk through. So, the point is going to be that it's it's not a point where we saw last season, oh, you give Andre Gomes a start and minutes against a third or fourth division side in the Copa del Rey, but that's not the point. When you say that you should beat a team like Real Valladolid coming up this weekend, that's a team you should beat. So that's a team that you'd think that if you, obviously it's early to rotate, but it's a, that's a kind of match that Munir has to start. You can't just save him for the third or fourth uh, division squad in Copa del Rey. When you mean when you say rotate, you you do mean that you're it's bottom half of the table teams that are gonna have to be have guys like Munir to put trust in them. Um, and, and as you talked about Paco Alcacer getting shuffled off again that'll transition us right into La Ronda where he may not be gone just yet and neither is another guy in Rafinha where we got two questions from Henry and Debdeep and basically it's should Rafinha leave or stay uh, as reported this afternoon Real Batiste alone is what they want Barcelona want by so the sides are not close at all and then Nick follows that up with what positions need strengthening if any and while we did talk about the Luis Suarez situation if you will we basically already doubled down that Munir has to be the answer he's sitting there he's not going anywhere even if Palco is so for me no position needs strengthening but if Rafinha leaves maybe you take a second look at a midfield but again looking at the market the Premier League is already out of things they can't buy any more players 
and even in Spain, it seems like a lot of things have already, a lot of deals have already been done. And where are they going to find a good bargain, or where are they going to find a high-profile guy to try to bring in? I, I'm not sure that there is a way. And for me, Rafinha, I think, has to stay unless they have somebody completely lined up where they just have to to sign the dotted the dotted line. Yeah, I would also lean towards Rafinha staying. I don't see the point of another loan. I think it's kind of getting close to the time of truth of whether uh, he can become a player who is at least a rotational option for Barca or if he just has a future elsewhere. I think it's it's either he stays or he's sold. I agree with that stance. As far as bringing someone in, I think you're right. It's too late to think that there's any real market opportunity or unless something you know really changes um i know people have mentioned that the you know trying to buy another striker i think it's just too unrealistic at this stage no one's gonna let go of any you know you know anyone who's preparing for a season or the season's already started they're not gonna let go of anyone who's really good you know right now and the same can be said even of the January transfer window. If you have a striker who's scoring goals, who's on form, the kind of you know the kind of player you want to buy, the other team's not going to let that person go. You know, in the middle of the season, it's just not going to happen. And then that just kind of leaves you to try to buy up prospects or something like that. And I don't, you know, that can also be very risky. And like I like I mentioned, we uh, Munir was considered one of the top prospects in Spain, and they signed Paco to be their new prospect, their new uh, one for the future, and now Paco's on his way out. So, like, you can keep buying prospects and never hit the one. Sometimes you just got to, you know, keep players you have and just put a little faith in. So so I agree with you. There's really nothing to be done unless unless there's something that's totally unexpected in the transfer window. Yeah, the bottom line is that Munir, again, had 10 goals last season for Alaves in the Liga, they're not going to find a striker that played in any league, uh, any of the major leagues, if you will, at least in Spain or, or Germany or the Premier League. They're not going to find anybody who had 10 goals plus and six assists last season while they already have Munir. They're not going to find that for a reasonable price. It just the, the market is already done up. So with the team, we'd have to say pretty much being what it is, you know, sans some shock midfield decision and bring somebody in. Mike Miller asked, considering the Champions League is less than a month away, what is our best possible 11? And again, I, I don't want to co-opt his answer, so I'm going to let you go first on this, Luis. Um, well, I think most of that 11 is already picked, isn't it? It's uh, Ter Stegen in goal for sure. Then Jordi Alba for sure. Uh, I think Titi and Piquet are still going to be the starters. Uh, right back is a little bit of a question mark between Semedo and Roberto. I think that my inclination has always been that Semedo will have will eventually become the starter, but if we're talking about a match that's, you know, in the next week or the week after, I know, you know, the Champions League knockouts aren't starting next week, but I'm just saying, I think at this moment, Roberto is the starter, and then in midfield, I think it's got to be Busquets, Rakitic, and Coutinho, and up front uh, has to be Dembele, Messi, and Suarez. Uh, There's a couple I think you could argue, but that that pretty much seems to be the idea. I think possibly the only the only other one that could get in there with enough time would be Arturo Vidal. I think he's currently one of the first options off the bench 
or will be soon become one of the first options of the bench. So maybe depending on the opponent or depending on the tactics, uh, sort of like uh, Paulinho became a starter in big matches sometimes under Valverde. I think the same could happen with Vidal, but we'll see. I don't think we're there yet. You kind of got to Edgar's question asking, do you think Vidal would be more of a Champions League player the same way that Danny Alves is used in the other teams he joined after Barca? Well, the caveat to that was that Danny Alves had, had lost a half a step at least by the time he left Barca. Uh, so he, he was much more heavily rotated. And But while Vidal, again, between his knee injuries and his age, uh, he's a player at, uh, surely in the second half of his career, and we'd have to say later in the second half of his career. But I think Vidal still has a lot to give. And depending on the side that they're going against, we saw the, the times and the reasons why Paulinho started. Paulinho and Vidal, it is not like for like because Paulinho was much more of a threat in the air and he was just a little bit longer with his stride. But Vidal is a better passer and much better on the ball, much better in possession. But while he doesn't have that, we'll say, Barcelona-type possession and the, the, the turn and move and, and the short, quick passes, uh, Vidal certainly is a guy that's more trusted, you'd have to say, than Paulinho was in those kind of situations. And he does a very similar defensive job uh, for me. And that does kind of beg the question about the midfield, where these rumors this week, these questions coming from both Douglas and James about Rakitic, where these PSG rumors to Rakitic, obviously, it's the end of August. It's they're, they're basically utter nonsense. But after the Neymar issue with PSG, is anything nonsense? And the question with Rakitic being a little older is, it seems that the hard line from Barcelona would be, and a lot of Kool-Aids have, have said that, while Rakitic is not beloved on the internet at least, he is a guy that is a wonderful midfielder, one of the best in the world. And if PSG want him, they're just going to have to pay his release clause. Those are the rules in Spain. So they're just going to have to buy the player completely outright. And Rakitic also agreed to go. And we know that Rakitic is a player that absolutely loves playing, not only in Spain, but living in Barcelona and being a part of that locker room. So I think there's a little bit of hogwash to that. And the the issue then, if he were to leave, are Arthur, Vidal, Elena, and Roberto, and even a little bit of Puj, would that be enough in the midfield? I think the answer automatically becomes no. And so Rakitic, for me, I, I think there's not much to this. And why would Barcelona sell unless PSG break their financial fair play rules that are certainly going to be inflicted upon them and spend way too much money on Rakitic? Yeah, um, Rakitic right now, I think you're right. If you let him go and you don't get a replacement, then you're basically one player short and you're seriously handicapping your entire season, and that's really not worth even 100 or even $200 million to just handicap your entire season like that. And you're not really going to get a replacement, like I said, unless there is some wild turn. I know that there was some agent talk with uh, Mino Raiola, Paul Pogba's agent, but I really doubt that you're going to get him or anyone of that caliber so, yeah, you're right. You have to say, pay the release clause or forget it. And I don't think Rakitic would leave. I think that um, he likes playing for Barcelona. And the other thing is that his wife is, uh, she's from Seville. And I don't think, I, I, I think I heard that it was actually a bit of a challenge just uh, moving from Seville to Barcelona for her and for their child. So I don't think they want to move to France now. I think he will, he's good where he where he is right now. 
and um, and it would it would make very little sense to sell him or to agree to that. So I don't I think on both ends on Barcelona's end and on Rakitic's end I don't think it's going to happen. I mean at least through year one, I uh, of Valverde's tenure I really do connect those two and intertwine them that Rakitic has been the perfect player for the way Valverde wants his Barcelona side to play and not that he's the most important person to what they do on the field obviously Busquets and Messi are always going to be center to the way that Barcelona suit up and and put themselves out there for the next few years at least but Rakitic has been just so valuable uh, to the team that Valverde puts on and that does lead us to a question from Lane about the head man for Barcelona. He seems much more calm and collected in front of the media. If he finds success this year in the Champions League, could he be long? Could he be at the Camp Nou for longer than three or four years, as has been the norm, it seems? And my gut instinct for uh, this, Luis, I don't know if you agree with me, is that it's not so much about Valverde or individual managers and their time at Barcelona, but more that the pressures behind the media that yes some don't obviously get along well with the media and it just doesn't work out obviously Luis Enrique is not only the most recent example but one of the, one of the best examples for the last few years that he just he didn't do well with a, a rather rash and reactive and overdramatic Spanish media and even though Valverde is better and does that what I like to call coach speak in the business where he just gives the the prototypical, uh, the prototypical answers that the journalist could write up before the press conference even happens. But that said, I think the pressures of, of dealing with all that goes involved, whether it's associates, the board, the media, living in Barcelona, the high profile, always being photographed, having every little thing you do have a story in so many publications around the world. And that kind of pressure and spotlight, a lot of these men who, again, grew up footballers on their own, who grew up just working hard, going to the pitch every day, getting in their routines, having all of that messed up and just being in that spotlight for so many years, it just weighs on on all men and not just individuals, not just Guardiola, who we know is so intense and burned out in the way he did, and not in terms of results, but just physically and emotionally burned out, and that led to his, his leaving. But Valverde, I think it's going to happen to everybody and because he's never been qualified as uh, this, we'll say, a prototypical Cruyffian manager, I think if things ever did go awry at any point in any season, whether he wins the Champions League this year or not, when things, when, when the rubber hits the road at one point, I think people are going to say, well, there has to be another guy out there. Oh, look, Xavi's going to get his coaching licenses, and, and he's a few years away still from being a head coach somewhere. But I think that there will be calls to try to, if things ever go uh, out of whack, to bring someone back that the Kool-Aids and Sochi's feel encapsulates what a manager of Barcelona should be. Yeah, um, Valverde, uh, the longest he's had a coaching job has been four years when he was at his last job with Athletic Club, and which happens to be the, the club he's most associated with. Uh, he, he has coached their, uh, their B team, essentially. He started out as, as an assistant there, uh, he was a player there. Actually, I heard a quote. I think it was from uh, Rafa Benitez today, today, who said, after I think he said four years. That's pretty much how long a coach can really be at a job before the players start tuning him out and that they start playing not to play well, but to play well according to what the coach likes. If that makes sense. So basically, to do the bare minimum that will get them 
uh, in the coach's good graces and not enough to, to bring it up a certain level and win. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think it's difficult to stay much longer. I mean, obviously, if, if you keep winning, then uh, the fans, the, the board, everyone will accept you and will give you one more year at least to try it out. But, but we've seen so many coaches like Pep uh, or like, you know, Zidane, um, you know, at Real Madrid that he left after three years, even though he had uh, obviously tremendous success. I think it has to do with burnout. And I think it also has to do with, you know, that feeling that maybe uh, you've given all you can to the club and, and uh, you know, the players are going to start tuning you out. Luis Enrique did, was, you know, he did have a more complicated relationship with the local press. I think his personality was quite prickly and uh, a couple journalists didn't like that. Uh, personally, I think, I personally find him uh, appealing as a, as a person. I think he's quite funny. I, uh, like he's, the way he talks is sarcastic and it rubs people the wrong way, wrong way, I think. But I personally think it's funny. Um, but anyway, Valverde is a very calm guy, and he doesn't, he's not nasty, he doesn't put people down, and I think that might help him at least get in the, uh, the press's good graces, because that does affect you. I mean, that is part of the, um, the drama that goes with being a manager. That's part of the burnout, is just dealing with, with the constant rumors and the stories and all that. Um, but yeah, like I said, if you uh, if you win, you're always gonna get at least the the opportunity or the offer to go on for another year, uh, at least one more year. So um, as long as he wants to and he feels like he can he can still reach the players and still motivate them, then sure. But that can be really difficult. I mean, there are been coaches, obviously, uh, Alex Ferguson is one example who've lasted much longer than four years. But that kind of thing is very rare, especially, you know, in these modern football times that we have now. Yeah, I mean, I really like the point you make that it's not just about that culture of Barcelona. This is at the top clubs. This is happening all the time and everywhere. I mean, it's why there's that trope in, in the UK about Mourinho's dreaded third season and what happens when the players tune Jose uh, Mourinho out in his, in his third year in charge at the helm and Again, it's only two weeks into the Premier League season, but already at Manchester United, there seems to be some kind of turmoil going on. And of course, Mourinho is always the best example. Then look at Rafa Benitez, who's been so successful, and your heart almost goes out to him. As a little aside about what's happening at Newcastle right now, in terms of of the owner and the resources he was given in the in the transfer window, and now having to kind of you know rebuild things, and you say, well, that's that's like that's Liverpool's Rafa Benitez, that's Real Madrid's Rafa Rafa Benitez, and yet here he is just not being able to conv- uh, convince uh, ownership of, about his his time at Newcastle. But anyway, speaking of Valverde. Rick Satio, who we have to mention, has been with us since show one. And again, I'll bring this full circle. We started the show by thanking our listeners and everyone who supported us throughout now this year plus of 100 shows. And Rick asks, as it seems Alverde has reverted to a 4-3-3, what should our new trident be after MSN, that being Dembele for, uh, D for Dembele or C for Coutinho, etc.? Rick asks, and I think Valverde has already shown his hand that it's going to be Dembele Suarez and Messi and Coutinho is going to be that left interior. That's, I think, where Valverde has said he's going to play, and he means it. Um, but also keep in mind that a 4-3-3 might happen a little more often, but when you really look at a, a heat map of it, 
And, and I, I did this after the Alaves game because I was curious where as much of it was a 4-3-3, it, it really is truly a Valverde 4-3-3, which is in parentheses, it says 4-4-2 <laughs> because Dembele is obviously up where the, the third attacker would be. Uh, but he is kind of sitting off of Suarez and Messi, who are not next to each other. But Messi, there's just gigantic red spot on the right side of the field. So while it it, it winds up heat map looking like a 4-4-2, in theory it's a 4-3-3. But, uh, but again, Luis, and this is tactics. This is what modern football is. You attack in a certain formation. So uh, you again, we go back to the Premier League, where teams might attack in a 4-3-3. But I, then some will even defend in a, in a 5-4-1 or something to that ilk. And uh, that's just modern tactics in the way it is. You have to be able to deal with the counterattack at the moment. And with the wave of football that's happening, whether it's at Liverpool or you think about a team like Napoli or Dortmund and what Dortmund has wanted to do in the last few seasons, and that might change this year. But with that counter press or the, the Gagan press, when you have teams setting themselves up for that as well, it means that you just defend differently than you attack. And for Barcelona, they, they have to continue to tweak their tactics. It's going to be the, the thing that Valverde has shown, where it's Dembele up on that left wing, where I think he's just as good on the right wing of what we've seen. And Coutinho is going to be in the middle. But having Coutinho have that ability to be a, the left wing in the 4-4-2 that we're going to see a lot of, I, I think it, there's nothing wrong with any of it. Um, yeah, I think actually as far as the Trident goes, the biggest change from last season is when... When Valverde went with 4-3-3 and when Dembele was fit, Dembele played on the right, Messi played on the center, and Suarez played on the left. And in this past match, uh, Messi was not in the center, he was on the right. Dembele was not on the right, he was on the left, and Suarez was not on the left, he was in the center. So it's been a a reconfiguration of the front three, which I think actually probably suits them better. I think Suarez... um, if he's pushed wide, is really uncomfortable. In the center, he works better. We did see, um, against Alaves, we did see uh, Coutinho in the second half. Uh, well, he only played in the second half. But in the second half of the second half, um, he started playing on the left wing when Dembele came off. I, uh, I think it was, yeah, for Artur. Uh, Artur was in the center of the pitch. He took that uh, left midfield spot. And Coutinho went up to left wing. So that is definitely, I think, an option that that, uh, Valverde will use. And you're right that when you look at the heat map, Rakitic was actually positioned a lot closer to Busquets, almost like in a double pivot. And I think the thinking there is because Rakitic was actually playing on the right side of midfield where Messi was playing. So if you have Messi not doing a lot of defending to... to, um, you know, compliment that you need someone who uh, will defend a lot. I'm sorry, uh, Rakitic was playing on the left of midfield, but Sergi Roberto was actually going forward. So uh, Rakitic was covering and by playing further behind and allowing Busquets to cover that right side of midfield. That also went with Semedo, took up positions that were not as advanced, which I think was interesting, but it, there was an improvement when Roberto became the right back he went further upfield. Um, that's when Rakitic was on the right side of midfield and could complement him better. I think a lot of the the con- reconfigurations that are going on right now is basically trying to find the best system that suits Messi, that uh, you know lets him do only attacking and not focus on defending. And um, 
And the other thing that we have to say as far as tactics go is that Rakitic played all three positions um, in that one match in the midfield. He started out on the left, uh, he played on the right, and he ended as the pivot in the center uh, of midfield. So I think he's also going to be an important part of this uh, tactical setup because he can, you know, he can pretty much play anywhere in that midfield three. Yeah, it's very, very true. And, and Luis, as we wrap this up, again, that was our our edition of La Ronda in episode 100. I, I again, want to thank you, Luis Mazariegos, for coming on the show. And I want to give you now the platform to just let people know where they can get a little more of you. Sure. Uh, please uh, visit our website. It's uh, barzablogranes.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at LuisM8989, L-U-I-S-M8989. And, um, and I will be updating people about my book, uh, and I will be uh, happy to answer any questions that people tweet at me. And again, for all of his information, it's down in the show notes. You can click that. Again, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram. We have the closed Facebook group. If you're jealous of all the people that ask questions in La Ronda, you can join that at tbpod.link backslash group. That's how you get in there, of course, to help the show even further. We have a Patreon page as well. Well, for myself, Luis, and particularly Frances, who, while he wasn't able to make it for show 100, I know I wanted it to be a surprise, but while he was able to come back today, there are some rumblings that... Things are in the works, we'll say, and and that you might hear Frances's voice again soon. But until then, thanks for listening to the first 100 of the Barcelona Podcast. We hope we can continue giving hundreds and hundreds more, and we'll talk to you next time on Force of Barcelona. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com